Welcome to the Velvet Podcast. My name is Connie. I'm the founder, president, and CEO of Velvet. And I host this podcast featuring intimate conversations with experts in their field who talk about dating, relationships, romance, culture, and various topics within the psychological discipline. Ranging from insightful and informative to deeply funny and touching, The Velvet Pod is a place you can come to have fun and engage in thoughtful discourse about human connection, relationships, psychology, and shared experience. You can expect to hear personal opinions, dating and relationship anecdotes, significant findings and analyses in the fields of psychology, critical theory, gender, and media studies, and thought-provoking questions that we'd love for you to answer by sending voice notes to Velvet App on Instagram That's at V-L-V-T-A-P-P on Instagram. Your answers and commentary that are forwarded to Velvet through Instagram might just get played and discussed on next week's pod. Can't wait to hear from you. Subscribe to the pod now so you don't miss an episode and follow us on Instagram at Velvet App. Dr. Becky Whetstone is a marriage counselor and therapist with over 17 years of private practice And she's also popularly known throughout the U.S. as the marriage crisis manager. Now, what does that mean? Well, if your relationship is in trouble, this is the person you want to call. She has been widely published in the U.S., whether it's books, articles, television shows, and she has a Ph.D. in marriage and family therapy from St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas. Dr. Becky, welcome to the podcast. Well, I thank you, Connie. So happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. So let's dive right in because I have so much to ask you about. First and foremost, now I myself have experienced, you know, relationship crises. I've lived through them, you know, as a child with people in my family, and I've had my own relationship crises as we all do. And one of the things that I find Hollywood or maybe even books and movies get so wrong is this sort of exciting, torrid nature of affairs and how romantic they are when in fact, almost everyone involved, you know, is completely devastated and it completely messes with your nervous system as you talk about this a lot in your articles as well. In that when you are in a relationship crisis, the first step, according to your management philosophy, is to recognize that your nervous system is freaking out. So you're in a really dangerous spot right now. So tell me more about that process. And I guess a little bit about the fallacies around marriage crises being this sort of romantic thing when in fact they are actually quite devastating. Oh gosh, Connie, I don't think I've ever, ever heard of the idea that marriage crisis is romantic. You know, or It's relation- a real Hollywood kind of, you know, when I'm thinking of like those Hollywood films or TV shows where it's like the cheating happens and it's so romantic and it's actually quite devastating. Oh, it's like a horse kicking you in the chest. You know, it's it's it has changed me as a therapist, having worked with so many couples who've gone through it and just seeing the absolute crushing devastation, you know, of it. And I guess statistics tell us that 75% of couples will survive an affair. But, you know, I think whether they survive and go on to maybe have a better marriage than before depends on if they're 
going to put any work into it or not. I think that if you just get back together and you haven't gotten to the bottom of the root issues that got you in that situation in the first place, then you're probably going to, you know, not have a successful reconciliation. Yeah. I don't see it as romantic at all. And, and, it is true that as soon as, say, you're, you know, sitting on the couch looking at your phone and your spouse or partner comes in the room and says, um, I think I'm unhappy. I think I might want a divorce or want out of this relationship. That is when a relationship crisis begins. Or, yes, you found out your spouse was having an affair. And a relationship crisis or marriage crisis always has is followed immediately by the person who is what I call the leaning in person, the person who doesn't want to break up. They, their nervous system fires up. It's the autonomic nervous system. And so when we are talking like we are now, we're calm or we're able to think and talk. Um, that's our parasympathetic nervous system. So it's like a green light. All systems go, everything's working fine in your body. But when you get some sort of shocking news or, you know, uh, told someone's going to leave you or whatever, then all of a sudden your brain detects a threat, just like a dog seeing a squirrel. Of course. And if your brain decides it is a threat, then you go into fight, flight, or freeze. In a marriage crisis, the person that's the decider that's leaning out, they're also activated. Their nervous system, they're also experiencing a sympathetic activation of their nervous system. Only they're in the flight mode. They want to run. They want to run as far away as they can. And the leaning in person wants to fight. And by fighting, their intuition tells them to chase that person and to kind of get a harpoon net net around and pull them back into the relationship, which is the opposite of what should happen. Okay. So you are in this position where you're called in to manage this crisis. You have two people in one dynamic, both having absolute opposite reactions, absolute opposite, you know, fight or flight modes. What do you do? Like, how do you manage both of them successfully to a point where they can both kind of calm down and come out of that like crisis zone and make a rational decision together about their relationship? Well, first of all, I think, you know, explaining to them about the nervous system. I, you know, I do this with almost every couple, of course, because even when a couple fights, that's their sympathetic nervous system firing up and they go into fight, flight or freeze where the damage to the marriage will be done. Yes. And so just first of all, explaining to them that it's a normal human reaction, that they're not going crazy, but they do feel crazy. Because that's what it feels like when you feel a threat to your life. As your brain is telling you, you're about to die, even though you're not about to die. It's just terrible, you know, terrible news. So, so, you know, yes, I'm going to tell them that it's going to take time for them to come out of activation. And so it's real important that, you know, I give them some tips on how to do that, of course, to work on it, to fight for it, to fight for a calm nervous system, but also to slow down any decision making during that period of time and wait until they regain 
gain, you know, a solid, calm nervous system. Of course. So that they can make rational decisions. So I'm I'm the one that's like, this is what's happening. Don't make any decisions right now. Slow this down. Um, and here's right. some tips for how to come out of it. And then I tell the person who is wanting to save the marriage, you need to, you need to, it's going against your intuition. Your intuition is saying, don't let them go, chase them down, mm-hmm. send them flowers, buy them a new diamond ring, whatever the heck it is, you yes. know. And, and I tell them like, that's called pursuit, pursuing the person who's running away and you never pursue an, a mammal that is activated. It, yeah, it's, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. It's like, well, you know, there's you've probably worked with couples yourself where one of them's got to hear the answer right now. Yeah. You know, and so person one is activated and they're trying to leave the room and get away from them. And person number two chases them out of the room, you know, and that's where people end up getting kicked and hit and pushed and shoved and awful. Yeah. Like really terrible things can happen. Yes. So I'm just telling them, like, if you you think that chasing after your spouse and love bombing them is going to get them to come back in, but they're, it's just going to make them even matter. They're going to resent all this effort that you're now putting in that you would not put in before. Before, before, exactly. That's something that that's a really interesting dynamic, which is that, you know, sometimes you're confronted with a couple where the person who's leaning out, as you said, They wanted to see all this effort. They wanted to see that pursuit throughout the relationship. And they've gotten to a point where they're like, okay, none of this pursuit, none of this, you know, showering with affection is happening. I've gotten to a point mentally where I'm going to check out of the relationship. I'm going to put the wheels in motion to move away from this. And then in that moment, the person who they wish was pursuing them, you know, goes into that pursuit mode. And it's like, almost too little too late right it's well it it can be we we can redeem this relationship maybe there's still hope for it yes but that's why i manage marriage crises is is there's a finesse and an art there is to it yes you know and i tell people like he who ignores dr becky's advice pays the price you know (laughs) this is gonna be this is gonna be the hardest thing you have ever done because yeah. your intuition and your family or your friends or whatever are gonna tell you the opposite of what Becky's telling you to do. Right. You're going to have to like sit on your hands and control yourself, you know, and take it easy. But I'll tell you one thing: like no one's going to have a successful reconciliation mm. unless the person who's getting left, the leaning in partner, goes and gets healthy themselves, whatever that means. Absolutely. You know, know, if you don't go grow, have a growing, evolving uh, time right now, then you're probably going to go down. So that's what I'm telling us is a better use of your time right now is like, leave the lever alone. Right. Don't don't mess with them. Don't ask them any questions. Leave them alone and then focus on getting healthy. Absolutely. So the the partner who is, as you said, getting left. So the one who is leaning into the relationship. So right. there's one party who's who's kind of on their way out. And the person who's still around and correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is that person actually has growing to do. They have to work on either self-awareness or the way that they engage with the relationship. Like that person who's getting left, 
is actually the one who needs to maybe open their eyes and realize certain things about their relational dynamic or themselves. Absolutely. And I, I look, I'm not insinuating that the person who's leaving is flawless. <laughs> of course, right. You know, and doesn't need work. I mean, you know, I, I personally believe every single person and, and needs therapy, period. Yes, in the ballgame. Absolutely. You know, um, so that there will be time to address the the deciders issues at a later date. Mm-hmm. You know, and th- I always joke with my clients who are Libras, you know, they well, like, you're dealing with me, but why aren't you dealing with him? Well, because this is a finesse. It's an art. Yeah. They're not ready right now. They're, we've got to wait till everybody calms down and has returned to ration, rational thinking. And this can be a one or two year process. I mean, oh, it can sorry. be. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard about, you know, how long it takes someone to come out of a midlife crisis, but it's about two years, you know, and what a midlife crisis is, is someone being activated. They're in the flight mode and they're running for their life and what they're running toward is themselves. You know, they're tired of conforming and doing for others and sacrificing for others and not getting their needs met. So. I've never heard it put that way exactly, but that makes so much sense. Oh, yeah. And so marriage crisis is very similar. The person is saying, you know, I've been in this marriage. I've been trying to be with you. I've requested that you make changes or that we make changes or we go to marriage therapy or whatever. And you've blown me off or or you changed for a week and and this thing didn't go away. So I've lost hope. I've lost hope. Your chances have run out. And I've had a straw that breaks the camel's back moment that gave me clarity that I'm done. And so, but again, if you finesse it after that and give the, the decider space to just go off and Mm -hmm. be, be, have their crazy stuff going, just leave them alone. Yes. And then you focus on, okay, so what am I going to do with myself during this period of time? That's the best thing you can do if it's finessed, but so many people just can't do it. It's a delicate art, right? It's a delicate art to balance that on your end, but also for the couple, right? They have to balance it within themselves. They have to sort of slow down and take things as they come. And they also have to heed your advice, of course. They do. And I wanted to be sure and and add this to all the research shows that the person who was who's now getting left, who's fighting for the marriage like it's the most important and valuable thing in the world, mm-hmm. was either equally or close to as unhappy as the decider prior to the marriage crisis. But there's some crazy human phenomenon about like I'm sitting there on the couch, you know, not liking you, but then you get up and tell me you're leaving me. Well, all of a sudden we wait a minute. You, yes. you can't leave me. We hate you know? to lose. Our brain so hates to lose. Like that thought is so, it's so powerful. It's gripping. It is. It Absolutely. Is. Now I'm going to bring us back to the point of cheating because again, one of your many articles that I loved, it was titled emergency advice for cheaters who <laughs> just got caught. And what I yeah. love most about it is that actually halfway through the article, you have this disclaimer Um, And I'd like to read it out if you'll humor me. So what you say is, note for serial cheaters, 
Some men and women live by a creed that says there is no harm in cheating, only in the carelessness of getting caught, and perhaps they feel entitled to do whatever they want whenever they want. If this is you, chances are you have a personality that is not conducive to marriage and committed relationships. I strongly, (laughs) I love that. Wait, we're not even done, Dr. Becky. So you continue and you say, I strongly urge people like this to either devote themselves to going into recovery, much like an alcoholic would through the 12-step treatment program, Sex and Love Sex Addicts Anonymous, or return to being single and stop making people miserable. So that is some hard truth, Dr. Becky, and we love to hear it. Um, My question Do you know why people who are not cut out for monogamy pursue it? So if you know that you want multiple partners constantly, why pursue monogamy? Why not be honest about who you are and what you want? Oh, how I wish everyone was authentic. And I know that you do too. Absolutely. Um, I think that, first of all, our culture pressures us to marry. You know, I grew up in uh, Southern United States, Mm -hmm. you know, and I am old enough to remember that if you weren't kind of getting married by age 21 or 22, you might be an old maid. Right. (laughs) And you may be a person who enjoys a a many multi-variety sexual partners and relationships and all that stuff, but you're, and you probably shouldn't get married, but you know, the culture is judging you harshly if you don't. And then there's of course the, the deal like, well, if I'm going to have kids, I do want to be married kind of thing. And then there's always the pesky brain that you know, even when you're dealing with the most avoidant attached partners who really would, you know, are probably happier alone. Yes. By golly, they're gonna they're gonna find a partner and probably yeah. get married. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so confusing to me sometimes because I see people who are in dynamics and I'm like, you're in a well, you're in a in what you're presenting as a monogamous relationship, but you're on the side doing anything that you want and also hiding that from your partner it just confuses me I'm like why not just you know either stay single or be in an open relationship be in a polyamorous relationship this is something that you know with our application like integrity in the dating world and the relational world is really important to us so it's something that we want to promote and whatever is going on it just seems like there's this kind of epidemic of no integrity and and dishonesty out there. Like, what do you think is going on? Do you think it really is related to just cultural expectations of people are just afraid to be truthful? Maybe do you, do you feel like people, you know, if someone just came out and said, Hey, I actually don't want monogamy. I want, you know, a variety of sexual experiences or even emotional experiences. Do you think people are afraid of being judged in that way? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I I just just a few weeks ago, I had a client who, you know, was acting gnarly in his marriage. He he, and they would tell you we had to get married because she got Mm -hmm. pregnant, you know, Mm -hmm. but they admit that it was a choice they made because she she quickly says, you know, I didn't I didn't demand that you marry me. I would have raised the child by myself, blah, blah, blah. So there he is trying to do the right thing. And then and then now she's catching him all the time texting with women. And, you know, it wasn't a great love match. Right. Right. You know, um, let's just say. But one of his things was that while they were only they were only hookup friends. 
Okay. They had no real relationship. And so he knew she was also hooking up with other guys during Mm -hmm. that period of time. They had no commitment. But one, you know, one of the things he was harshly on to her for was, you know, being promiscuous, going from man to man, okay, you know, opening your legs for a variety of men. Right. How dare you? Mm-hmm. And I was all up in it, you know, with them telling him, now, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, yes. When you're single and you're not in a relationship and you love sex, there's nothing wrong Right. With a, with having sexual intercourse with whoever you want to, whenever you want to, as long as you're being responsible. Yes, absolutely. You know? And you know, yes. the, responsible and, and, and honest, quite frankly, like that's, those are the two kind of pillars that we promote. It's like you be responsible and you also be honest. And it sounds like she was. She was. She was totally honest. It was he who couldn't deal with it. And when he real, mm. and I was just like, no, 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 we're stopping <laughs> We're stopping right here. And I said, this is a this is a uh, toxic masculinity thing going on here, you know, that and, and I think that, you know, a lot of women who might enjoy having a lot of variety of sexual partners don't do it because of the harsh judgment that right. we get. You know, there's nasty words for women Absolutely. that have a lot of sexual partners. And, you know, none for men, none for men, interestingly enough, nasty words for women, but no label for men. Right. Oh, no. I mean, no, no. Men are studs, you know, you know, like, yeah. So I think that that, you know, is a problem, too. Since since caveman, though, I mean, back in caveman days, the most valuable female partner for caveman was the monogamous woman. Right. Because he wanted to make sure that it was his seed that got planted and he didn't want to have to worry about anybody else's seeds. And he wanted a healthy woman who could give birth to healthy children. So the monogamous woman has been ingrained in men as something that, you know, is the top of the top mm-hmm. of the woman you bring home to mom. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think that this is this is something I was talking about just before with a friend of mine? We were talking about how men, even even and again in heteronormative you know standards and heteronormative world in in the dating world, in that realm of things, what my friend was saying was it seems like you know men will go after monogamous women who clearly want a monogamous relationship, even when they themselves might be interested in an open relationship or polyamorous relationship or just a sexual relationship. Do you think that they pursue the monogamous woman because she's at the top of the totem pole in that way? I do. I think that, I think that it's ingrained in men, you know, through, through biology, you know, instinct at the base of the brain, you know, that it has to be their seed that gets planted, you know, and there can't be any confusion about that, you know? Mm-hmm. And and so, <laughs> you know, so that, you know, they do value a monogamous woman. I mean, for sure, at the top of the totem pole, you know, and of course at the top of the cave woman's totem pole is yeah. the healthy man who can, who's a good hunter, who can bring home the beef. 
And that and and can protect her from harm and afford a cave in a safe neighborhood yes. and and has healthy genetics so that their children can be healthy and all that kind of stuff. So in today's world, that translates kind of into financial security. Right. You know, physical health and financial security. So when men are griping to me that their wife, you know, may have just married them for their money or something, I'll say, don't blame her, you know, blame physiology. (laughs) Right. You know, because for women, it was about survival. You know, caveman, cavewoman was looking to survive. Right. And so women today are looking to survive. And it's just, it looks a little different now, but certainly women are going to be attracted to a great provider because it increases their chance of survival. Yeah. And it increases the resources in their life and their child's life. I mean, it makes sense when you really look at it from that sort of primordial lens, it does make sense. Even why a man who might be interested in in varied sexual experience will pursue the monogamous woman because she is something to be acquired. It's almost like I don't want to say trophy and sound reductive, but it's like that if she is really at the top of that totem pole, because if you present to a man maybe who wants various sexual experiences or who wants polyamory or an open relationship, if you present to him like 10 options and nine of those are women who are also open to many different sexual experiences or an open relationship who don't want to be committed or tied down, And then the 10th woman is a monogamous woman. I wonder, and, you know, after our conversation, I think I have an idea, but I wonder who he'd be most attracted to. I think, you know, I think when it comes down to it, the one they'll marry is the monogamous woman, Mm -hmm. you know, and they may have a robust dating life with the other women. Oh, it confuses Dr. Becky. It confuses me so much to this day. It confuses me because I'm like, why not marry a woman who uh, shares your values and who shares your outlook, who shares, you know, you know, a variety of sexual experiences, who can understand that part of you and you can have a partnership together. But it just seems so much like, you know, that it happens that people will get married and, you know, venture into monogamy, but then have their relationships on the side. You know, I remember my dad telling me that, you know, not to have sex with anybody, you know, till I got married and everything. And he he was telling me like, and my parents were like, my dad was born in 1912, if that gives right. you an idea. The same year the Titanic sank. Wow. My mother was born in 1990. So, <laughs> to, you know, yeah. raising babies in the depression. I was an accident many years later. Wow. Um, yeah. But he would tell me like, you know, there if you have sex before marriage, there's a huge percentage of men that just won't even consider you as a partner. Mm-hmm. My, my dad told me that. Isn't that, isn't that pitiful? I would hope today and in, in uh, this day and time that you wouldn't want to m- marry someone who doesn't have sexual experience. <laughs> like yes, you wouldn't want, yes. You know, you wouldn't want that burden yeah. on you, I would think. Oh, yeah. And I plus, think. you know, how many couples have we seen where they got, and especially in Arkansas where I live, where couples yes. get married at 17, 18, 19, and the only, this is the only sexual partner they've ever had. Right. And by age 30, they're going, I want to try something new. Right. You know? Like, I want to see what it's like out there. You want to explore. Absolutely. Yeah. And that makes sense, too, as well. You know, when you're 
living, you know, from 19 to 30 with one person, it makes sense to want to explore and explore yourself, explore others. Um, you know, dating for self-exploration is a real, is a real thing. You get to know yourself through these experiences relationally. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the cheating thing is complicated. And Sounds I, like I'm it. curious, I'm curious what you think of Polly Amory, because I, th- you know, that, that wasn't discussed in school when I was going to graduate school. And, and I've had a couple of Polly Amorous couples mm-hmm. come to see me. And qu- quite honestly, I don't, it, to me, it just seems like a setup for disaster. Right. It's you- so funny that you say that. <laughs> I find, you know, I'm I'm definitely I'm very interested in it as a concept because I think it's one way that relationships have evolved. And I think if you are a polyamorous individual, you know, you're interested in having experiences, not only sexual, but emotional variety with different people. Um, it is a very interesting concept to study and then to see it put into practice i mean personally from my you know person to person experience talking to people who've had polyamorous relationships i've never heard a successful story just because there's a lot <laughs> of like jealousy that comes into it there's it's very hard to as you know i mean look who i'm talking to it's hard enough to manage a relationship between two people you add a third person in there and it's just it's a lot more to manage, right? It's a lot of different. It is. I just think that like, you know, you're already going outside the boundary norms, you know? And so I just, I just feel like it's ripe for trouble. I can't tell you how many couples I've worked with that did swinging, you know, they're thinking we need to liven up our marriage. We've turned into boring schlumpadinka couple, you know, they go out swinging and one of them falls in love with somebody that they're swinging with. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, it happens, of course. You expose yourself to more or to different and, you know, something like that is bound to happen eventually. Maybe it never does, but you definitely are opening yourself up, I think, to risk. And again, if we're looking at monogamy, right, like if you're in a monogamous dynamic and you're involving others um, or opening that dynamic, there's always risk involved in that. There is. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Becky, thank you so much for joining the Velvet Podcast. We so appreciate your time. I'm so thrilled with this episode. I can't wait for our listeners to hear it. And hopefully, I would love to have you back if you'd be open to it. I'd love of to course. do maybe an, an Ask Dr. Becky segment. I would absolutely love that. Have people call in and give, you know, give them advice. I think you would be perfect for that role. Oh, that's one yeah. of my favorite things to oh, do. Oh, good. Good. We definitely have to discuss that. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I really thank you, Connie. And hello. And um uh hello from Arkansas from love Becky. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Listeners. Becky. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Velvet Podcast. I thought Dr. Becky was so animated and interesting and fun to listen to. And she gave really interesting advice. Her background as a relationship crisis manager can help anyone self-regulate when it comes to conflict or fighting in your relationship or any kind of crisis that you might go through with your significant other. And I think it's really important to heed her advice that if you are in conflict or if you are experiencing some kind of relationship crisis, just know 
you're activated, your nervous system is activated. And the best thing to do is to take some time, settle down, and then decide how you want to proceed with your partner. And hey, now that you've listened to this podcast, you can go and teach your partner or teach your friends, teach your parents, teach your siblings how to better manage their relationship crises and how to self-regulate during conflict, how important it is to wait it out, take your time. You can become their teacher and you can tell them to join Velvet so that they can learn all the valuable lessons that you have access to just by being on our wait list and being a subscriber So you can have them join at www.vlvtapp.com. That's www.velvetapp.com. Thank you so much for listening. We cannot wait to drop that beta test and you are going to be on it. How exciting is that? We can't wait to see you there. Can't wait to get your feedback and we can't wait to help you on this journey towards self-love, relational love, and becoming a healthier and happier human being with Velvet.